All right, hey, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and, and take a seat. Uh, just want to say welcome. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Mark. So do me a favor. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, we want to get you a Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get you a Bible. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, all right? Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get you one. We uh, blew through the first chapter. It took us five weeks, so here we are in chapter 2. I, I promise the speed will pick up a little bit. Um, Mark chapter 2. If this is your first time, just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Josiah. Um, we hope we can meet you after. I'd love to meet you, just say what's up and talk to you for a minute. But um, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark. We started this like five, six weeks ago. And I love this Gospel. This is the shortest Gospel of the four Gospels. This is kind of known as the ADD Gospel because Mark is really all over the place. Mark is jumping from one subject, one story to the next. And so this is, a, a, a for me, who's kind of quick-paced sometimes, uh, I enjoy this Gospel because he kind of gets to the point. Mark is trying to present to us the person of Jesus. Again, the first gospel recorded. This is the first time that the gospel was going around for about 20 years at this point, being spread through word of mouth. And Mark goes, I need to write this down. Mark was a disciple of Peter. Peter called Mark a son in the faith. So in many ways, this is kind of Peter's gospel being given to Mark, and Mark writing this down. And again, uh, this gospel just reveals to us the power of Jesus, specifically answering the question, really, of who is Jesus. And Mark kind of says, here's what he did, here's what he said, you make the choice. Now, last week, if you guys were here, you remember we talked about the leper, the leper who was touched by Jesus. And one of my favorite stories, this is a scandalous story. By no means should a leper ever approach someone in society. They should never come even near them. They'd have to cover their mouth and yell, unclean, unclean. And we talked about the effects of leprosy. We talked about how even their vocal cords would be so strained you could barely, maybe be, even barely hear them. We talked about how it has a numbing effect on their body, that as soon as you found out you had leprosy, you were actually kicked out of community, kicked out of the church. You could never go back in a temple. You could never hug your wife and kids again. You could never be touched again. And this guy, the Bible says, was full of leprosy. He was full of leprosy. That means he had it for a long time. You could visibly see the effects of it. And here's this, like, walking dead person going to Jesus, and Jesus touches him. And as, as scandalous as it was for that man to go to Jesus, it was even more scandalous for Jesus to touch him. And Jesus says, I'm willing to be cleansed. And I'm so thankful with one touch, a life was changed. And that's how Jesus works. With one touch from Jesus, a life is forever changed. And that's what we're going to study today. That's what we're going to look at today. So today we're actually going to study about the paralytic. And simply the title of today and how we're looking at it is Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. And that's why we're here, right? I mean, that's why we do this. I mean, if you believe this, and I hope you do, and I know there's some that are still skeptics and on the fence, and that's fine. But if you believe this, you, you and I have seen firsthand that Jesus changes lives. And that's why we gather, that's why we do this, that's why we study this, because we know that one touch from Jesus or one word from Jesus just changes a life. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, I just want to remind you, we're looking at this as Jesus on mission. Like wherever Jesus went, he brought help, he brought healing, he re brought redemption, that this is really the advancement of the kingdom of God, that wherever the king is, the kingdom is. Wherever the, if the king's there, the kingdom's there. And that's the idea. So Mark chapter 2, look at verse 1. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read the story through, and then we'll look at it more in depth. It says, and again, right after he healed the leper, again, he entered Capernaum. This is in the area of Galilee. And after some days, and, and it was heard that Jesus was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together 
so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was, so when they had broken through, they they let down the, the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were reasoning thus within themselves, Jesus said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, he'll do both, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he arose, took up the bed, and he went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would see this today, that we'd walk out of this place and we've never seen anything like this, like you, Jesus, like a healing word from you. Lord, I ask that you just speak to my heart, all of our hearts in this room. God, there's so much we can take away, so much we can enjoy about this text. But Lord, I ask that your spirit would just produce life from it. That Christians who who believe this would be refreshed. That those who don't believe this would, at your very word, also be healed. And so we thank you, God. We ask that you speak and move in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So I think we can all agree, in life, there are wants and there are needs. All of us have wants, things we want, and all of us have needs. And there's a difference between the two, right? Like, I want basically every night chocolate Trinity ice cream on top of a warm, freshly made cookie. I usually do have that because I'm just a fatty like that. Uh, But what I need, what I need is kale, right? I need that. Like, I want a new car. I have a Toyota Corolla, like 2007. I want a new car, but I just need to to probably walk and, and lose some weight. Like, there are so many things we want, but what do we really need? And we, we do this a lot, it's funny, because we will say this in just casual conversation. Like, oh, I want, I w- or we'll say as a want, we'll say it as a need. So our, something we really want, we'll present as a need. Like, I need a girlfriend. I need Chipotle. I need this. And what you really need is like a job, right? Like what we really need is something else. But we're saying, here's what I, I want, but I'm going to present it as a need. And we do this a lot. Um, I'm going to share this with you because I think it is interesting. Uh, there's a guy named Abraham Maslow. Maybe you guys heard that name for those who took psych class back in the day or recently. Uh, and this is, I'm not fully endorsing this or saying this is, this is legit, but I think this is interesting. He, he presents something, he, he wrote something called the hierarchy of human needs. The hierarchy of human needs. Uh, and we'll show up the graph. He's like, here's a graph, maybe you've seen this if you took class like this, and I think it's interesting. He basically says, here's, like the, here's what humans need. And he starts from the bottom moving up. Like, first and foremost, every human needs, there's physio- physiological needs. We need food, water, air. We, we need these things to live. Like, here's the most basic needs we all have. Once you have those needs met, then you're looking for safety needs. Then you're making sure, like, okay, are we safe? Do we have a roof over our head? Is there security in that way? And then once you kind of have those needs met, you have kind of now your psychological needs, belonging and love and friendships and relationship. So once you feel safe and secure, it's like then I can have my emotional needs met. And then with that, he, ta- he calls them esteem needs and feeling like you've accomplished something, that something got done. Like, okay, we have relationships, but now wh- what is a relationship about? And then he talks about self-actualization needs. 
And, and these might be needs you can see. I don't know if you can fully read this. You're reaching your full potential. You're actually, you're fulfilling what you feel called to do in life. Like, it's not just relationship. It's like, uh, this is why I'm on earth. Now, here's what he presents as the most basic needs. And here, here's kind of the idea. Um, once a hurricane hits, you almost don't care about the top layer or the second layer from the top. You kind of go back to the very beginning. You know, once a, ca- a catastrophe happens, once we lose everything, or if, if that happens, we've had, you know, hurricanes recently, but like really bad one where you go, oh my gosh, my roof's ripped off my house. We have no food, no water, no electricity. You kind of go back to, your, to those basic needs. And then you kind of rebuild again. And, and he didn't realize that, you know, he didn't, he didn't know of Wi-Fi. That would probably have been the very bottom of this whole chart. If you knew about Wi-Fi, would be like, oh my gosh, Wi-Fi is before food and water. Um, but he didn't know about that then. Uh, but he presented this, you know, list of hierarchy of human needs. And actually later, years later, he goes back and he adds one to it. And this is true. He added, years later, self-transcendence. And here's the idea that he was saying. He was saying that basically, once even you find your purpose and calling, there's still something more. There's something bigger than all of us. We all want to be a part of something bigger. And he kind of relayed this to his people's spiritual needs. And saying, okay, here's this graph I created, but I feel like I'm missing something with this graph. And years later, he added this self-idea of self-transcendence, referring really to the spiritual. Now, I think this is interesting. Here's what's happening in Mark chapter 2. There's a guy that goes to Jesus, and he's paralyzed. And you could say he needs to be healed. He, He wants to be healed. And Jesus takes him back to a greater need than even being healed. And this is something I, I want us to, to see is within all of us, there are things we want, but what do we really need? And Jesus is trying to meet the greatest need of all, the forgiveness of sins. But that is the greatest need. And so you have this top of this list of self trans Again, this isn't like legit. There's probably there's other versions of this and other people have tweaked it over time, but this is kind of the original. And I do think it's interesting within the heart of hearts, within every human person, you can say, yes, there's a greater need. Like, even if you have food and water, even if you have great relationships, even if you feel emotionally stable, why do I still feel empty? Why, do you, why does it seem that the wealthiest or the pe- people that have it all or the people that seem to just have life together, why are they the ones taking their lives? Why are they the ones that are just kind of falling through the cracks and ending up in, like, what is going on with that? Because there's a greater need that, than all of them, that this top one could probably be on the very bottom. That the, the greatest need of all is this spiritual thing that we need to have, and, but the, the world doesn't understand this. Like, what is this? What is this void I have within me? And we see that God has created an eternal void in our life, and it can only be fulfilled by the one who is eternal. God's like, this is an eternal void we all have. And I'm the one who's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, and I can fulfill and meet this need that you have that's greater than all of your other needs. And so here's what's happening in Mark 2. This guy goes to Jesus with a want, and Jesus goes, no, let me meet your greatest need. Right, so let's read Mark chapter 2 again, verse 1. We're going to reread this. So good. It says, and again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and, and it was heard that Jesus was in the house. I like that. Uh, immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Last week, remember, that was his priority. His priority was to preach the word to them. Now, let me kind of explain. Remember, Jesus is beginning his ministry in Galilee. We talked about the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake, 13 by 7 miles. You can go to the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful area. It's, a, it's an awesome area. I'd say, let's go. We're going to go in a couple of years. I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, but go. See the area. See the spots. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Jesus is doing ministry around the Sea of Galilee, and he goes back into Capernaum. Capernaum's like a sea on the northwest side. And if you guys uh, remember, that's where Jesus casted out the demon man, the demon-possessed man who's in the temple. That's where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so when it says he's in the house, many people do believe that he's in Peter's house or Peter's family's house. That's why, like, again, remember, this is Peter 
talking to Mark. Mark's like, oh, he's in the house. Uh, so maybe it's Peter's house, which makes this story that much better to me, that Peter's roof's about to be ripped off. And so he's in the house. People are gathered together. The room is filled. The room is so filled that they're breaking fire code, right? It's filled with people out the door. And they're, they're just wanting to hear Jesus. Now we're told that the scribes were there. And I want to point this out because Luke tells us the same story, but he also gives us some more definition. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, throw the verse up. Uh, it says this, same story, the other one you had. Same story. Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. They've come far. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, uh, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed. So here's what I want you to see. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Jesus is surrounded by just this religious people as well. The scribes are there. The Pharisees are there. And they're really not there as much as they want to, you know, like, oh, maybe this is the Messiah. They're more more there to critique. They don't really want to listen to Jesus. And I love how the power of the Lord is present to heal them. Now, really quick, the Pharisees, who are they? Uh, What what are they? You guys, if you want to study the Pharisees, we can go way more in depth. But there was never more than 6,000 Pharisees at a time. Like, they had 6,000 Pharisees. These were basically the, the lawyers. They were the keepers of the law. They actually started off, I think, with a good heart. It was like, wow, what if everyone obeyed God's word? Yeah, that'd be great. And it started off well, but it became very legalistic. It became very burdensome. They, re- they, they looked at the law as a way to salvation, not as a way to say, look, at you can't keep this, but there's one who can keep this on your behalf. See, so they, they looked at the law as like, we got to live by this in order to be right with God, and yet God's like, let me come and keep the law for, for you on your behalf. So I, and, and Pharisees are interesting people. They kind of viewed that sin is out there. They are sinful. They are bad. Don't let them touch you. Don't eat with them. Don't go with them. I mean, all of them, like, don't be around them. But they didn't realize that sin was within themselves. They kind of viewed sin as out there and not something within. And so here's the scribes. They were the, the ones who copied the law. They wrote down the law over and over and over again. Many of them would have it memorized. There's the scribes there. The Pharisees are there. And then there's some people who are there because they just want something from Jesus. And I want you to think about those crowds because that's kind of church in a lot of ways. Very religious people, very self-righteous people, very, I do these things because I got to do, I got to make God, you know, I go to Sunday church because I got to feel good with God. And there's people who are like, I go to church because I just need something. And there's these crowds kind of here. And that paralytic man is, is one of them. And so, and I, I love this, and the power of the Lord is present to heal them. And that phrase in Luke 5 just stuck out to me because it's like, I don't understand this always. That there seems to be at various times in various ways a unique way that God will work. That sometimes God wants to work in a very unique way. That maybe there are times in our life, and we can't, I don't fully get it, where God's like, I want to do something special today. And it says, and again, it's like, was the power of the Lord always, wasn't it always present with Jesus? And you can, in some ways, yes, but remember, he's also God who became man. He, he is man. He needed to seek the Holy Spirit. Like, Jesus, y- you know, there's a side of it where you kind of go, what does this mean? What does this look like? But it just seemed to be a unique power that was with Jesus that day. And he was, like, looking for someone to bless and looking for someone to pour his spirit on. And I do believe, like, for us, I'd be, let's be praying for that. Let's be praying that Sunday morning we'd pray, God, we want to believe that your, your power is here. We're praying for your power to be present to heal. Let us not just come to church weekly and be like, well, you know, like at Sad Hall, like sometimes the last place on earth we'll ever expect to see God is at church. It's almost like Isaiah went to the temple in Isaiah 6, and he sees the Lord, and he's like, whoa, is me. It's almost like the last place Isaiah thought he would see God was at church, <laughs> you know. And it's sad, like sometimes like, God's everywhere, yeah, but he, church, I mean, that's just kind of what I do. Like, I believe the power of the Lord is present to heal them, and I'm praying, and we're praying that that would happen here weekly. That, the, that there'd be some, a uniqueness here. Not just here, but like every week we'd pray and cry out and say, God, show up. Show up in ways that we can't. 
So imagine this room is full, it's filled, it's packed with people. People are trying to get in. They're outside the door. Read what happens next in verse 3. Verse 3. Then they came to Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and they could not come near him because of the crowd. So they uncovered the roof where, where Jesus was, and when they had broken through, they let down the bed on, on which this paralytic was lying. Now, I want you to imagine this. This is chaos. This is absolute chaos. Like, our room, I know, is not filled, but imagine it's just filled with people, and the doors, like, these people can't get in. Now, back then, roofs and the, the structure was obviously very different. They'd have wooden beams, yes, but kind of with, like, this thatch, like, this muddy, sticky, you know, kind of hardened through the sun. It, it was, it was a, a roof, actually, back then was a place where people would hang out. They'd go on the roof to pray or to hang out, talk, eat, whatever it might be. Like, the roof was a hangout spot. So it's not super weird. Like, we don't really hang out on roofs during the day. Like, maybe you do. I don't know. But we don't really do that. But they, this was, like, more common. But they bring the paralytic. And I want you to imagine this. You start to, like, Jesus is preaching. And you start to hear a little noise. Like, sticks start falling. Mud starts falling. You're like, why did mud just fall on me? You see, like, a beam of light just shine through. There's a head that peeks in. It's like, nope, Jesus over there. Keep digging. And they go, and they're, like, digging, looking for Jesus. They're trying to get close to him. And I just love how, like, chaotic this is. And I love how Jesus is not, he's not, like, offended by this. This is not frustrating him. I, I love kind of the response that Jesus has that, that what's happening in this moment. There's almost this idea for these men that we can't get inside. We're out here, Jesus is in there, but we got to get in there. We're outside of this, but we got to get in there. We got to find a way to get near Jesus. And they didn't let the crowd stop them. And I really do want to bring this up. Because Christian or non-Christian, here's what I, I see here in this passage. Scribes and Pharisees came from all over. There wasn't a lot of people there who wanted to really listen to Jesus or hear Jesus. They were there to criticize. They were there to point out, see, he's not really the Messiah. I told you. I knew it all along. The Messiah would not come in this way. And there's actually religious people keeping people who really need Jesus from Jesus. And so often there is religious people who keep people from Jesus. And we've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe your friend goes, I don't go to church because I, I had this terrible experience. The pastor did this. The person did this. My friend who claimed to be a Christian acted this way and cheated on their spouse and did this. And there's religious people keeping people from Jesus. And we see this. This didn't stop these men. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop your friend. There will always be religious people who will try to keep you from Jesus. And that cannot stop us. And I, the way it's worded, and we'll put it in verse 17. Uh, yeah, here verse 4. They could not come near because of the crowd. And I think of, like, just the people group. I think of, like, the crowd. I think so often there is the majority, there is a crowd of people that try to keep us from Jesus saying, I can't believe you believe this book still. I can't believe you believe something so old, so archaic, it has no relevance today. It, it does not speak into gender equality like we think it, it does not speak to this subject matter like we think it should. And th there's people today saying, disregard this book. The crowds will try to keep us from Jesus. And I'll say this, don't let the crowd keep you, don't let the majority keep you from Jesus. Just get to Jesus and you decide. You get to Jesus, you go to him, and, and let your interactions, like what he said, what he did, you decide firsthand. Don't let any religious person, don't let any secular person keep you away from Jesus. You get to him. Jesus is in there, we're out here, doesn't matter, we're going to find a way to get in. This is their mindset. And let me just say this, what good friends, right? Like, is this not a great, like, idea of friendship when you read this? You can't not read this and be like, this is some great friends right here. Willing to go, we will surpass the crowd. We will rip off a roof if we have to. Whatever we have to do to get you to Jesus, we will get you to Jesus. And I hope that some of you, I know it, we're exhausted. There are people we've invited to church or shared the gospel with. You're like, you're tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. We don't know what the paralytics man's thoughts or feelings were. Like, was he the one saying, please bring me to Jesus? We're like, hey, too bad, buddy. You're paralyzed. You're going. We're going to take you. Like, you have no choice in the matter. You're just coming. Like, we don't know really his attitude in this. 
It says when Jesus saw their faith. We'll talk about that. But there's this idea of like, we're going to get you to Jesus. And I'd say, again, what good friends? And how we need friends like this. How we need friends that say, I care so much for you, I'm going to find a way to get you to Jesus. I'm not going to give up on you. I don't care if you're paralyzed, laying on a mat, I'm going to find a way to get you to Jesus. And this is so necessary. I would love it. South Florida is not a place when you think of South Florida, like, oh, South Florida, that's like the area of friendship, right? Like, like that's like not how we're viewed. Like, it'd be so cool, though, if like one day it's like, wow, so that's the community that cares for people, loves people, goes the extra mile. Like, what if God could change our perspective? Like, wow, if you go to South Florida, watch out, someone's going to bring you to Jesus. Like, it'd be so cool if that kind of became our reputation that way. And that's what's happening. There's, this, like, there's these guys going, we're going to get you to Jesus. And again, I'm, I'm sharing this because we can feel this way. A lot of us, and a lot of us can think this way. We can look on and go, I don't have anyone who would do that for me. And that's, that's not good. And, and I hope that through here, you and I can find people like that. And I would say there's a couple things to this. How do we get that? We get that, listen, through just regular commitment over time. Friendship and community does not happen don't try for a month or two months or three months. I would say, it's hard to even give a timeline. I would say, yes, try a year, but try, be purposeful, be intentional, be faithful, be committed. We are the fear of commitment generation. You're like, hey, do you want to commit to helping out? You're like, mm, I'll come when I want. Like, or do you want to come to community groups? Like, sure, you'll see me once a month. Like, we are just afraid of that commitment and that consistency, but that's where genuine, real friendships are built. It will take time, and it will take consistency. And if you feel like, I don't have anyone who would do this for me, my question is, would you do this for anyone? It's so easy for us to look on and go, well, I don't have anyone who's like these friends, these four friends. I don't have anyone who do this for me. It's like, well, are you one of the four friends? Right? Proverbs 18, 24 says, uh, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Like, if you and I want friends, you've got to be. That's just like, a, that's like what I'm telling Micah. Like, it's like friendship 101. You want friends? Be friendly. Like, that's what you like. You just tell, like, that's like something that, but it's, it's still something we have to tell adults. Like, yes, you can't be mean to everyone. You can't shut everyone out of your life. Like, yes, we'll have to show love and go the extra mile. Like, that's okay. If you want friends, you got to be friendly. And there's this idea of, like, we all want a, one of these four friends, but are we one of those four friends? But again, their mindset is beautiful. The community is beautiful. Jesus is in there. We're out here. We're going to get you in there. We're going to do whatever it takes to get in there. And that is perspective. And I, and I, I love Jesus' response in verse 5. Look at verse 5. There's two sides of this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, this is so interesting to me for many reasons. Let's just start here. When Jesus saw their faith, he saw their faith. Please listen. Jesus links faith to action. Okay? Jesus links faith, faith to action. If you have faith in Jesus, it will lead to action. Now, I want to say, I even want to say this. These guys probably didn't have a full theology of Jesus. It's not like they probably had the biggest grasp of Jesus. Like, their, their knowledge of Jesus was very limited in word of mouth. They didn't have this, like, they're, they're not reading Mark 2 like we are. Like, they didn't know this, what would happen, right? They had a very limited knowledge of Jesus, and yet what they knew of Jesus, they acted upon. And I'm going to say, that's, what's so, that's what faith is. What you know about Jesus, what you've tasted and seen, what you've experienced, what you've read, what you've heard, what you've seen firsthand, what you know, act upon. Well, all they knew is that this guy, Jesus, is healing people. We're gonna act, we know we're going to act upon this. Mark links faith to action. And, and really, it isn't sometimes revealed to us until we're in deep need. A lot of time when things are good, when my needs are met, when I'm content, we don't feel like we need Jesus. It's sad, but it's true how so often, like, when we don't have anything, when things aren't going our way, we're like, Jesus, I need you. And, and a lot of times God does use that to bring us to him, and I'm thankful for that. But I would even love when things are good when things are great, that we're still like, Jesus, I still need you. Like, you're still my greatest need. 
But Jesus does use this. I love how John Stott, this Bible guy, uh, he said it this way. He said, faith is born out of need. We shall never put our trust in Christ until we have first despaired of ourselves. A lot of times faith is going, I'm so sick of me. I, I don't have the answers. I seem to have my foot and mouth syndrome. I seem to always make mistakes and hurt people and push people away. And I seem to be paralyzed. And I seem to be, and, and finally when you kind of go, yes, you're not the Messiah. Yes, you're, you're, you don't have everything together. Like when you finally can be open and be teachable, God's like, this is when faith just comes in. And you go, okay, so I'm going to look to the one who has this. I'm going to act on what I do know about Jesus. He says when he saw, he saw that, again, faith is linked to action. They did not just see the paralytic man and hear about Jesus and go, well, Jesus seems to fix it. This guy seems to have the need. Oh, well. Like, he, like if he's paralyzed for this many years, who's to say he's going to get fixed or healed? Let's just keep it the way. That, like, faith is always linked to action. And what you know about Jesus, please act upon it. Whatever you know about, whatever it is you know about Jesus, from the scriptures, from people that you've seen, talked to, experienced firsthand, act upon that in faith. And I love this, when he saw their faith. And if you focus on that word, their, because that's a weird thought, when he saw their faith, and that could include the paralytic, that might not include the, the paralytic, it is interesting, though, how your faith can also affect someone else's eternity. And that is weird to me. When I read this, that one's hard for me. When you read verse 5, he says, when he saw their faith. That my faith in Jesus can shape someone else's life in eternity. That how I, what I believe about God and how I respond to God and how I act upon that can also shape someone else's life. That there is going to be times in your life and my life where we take steps of faith that don't make sense. We go, okay, Jesus, I, I sense that you're leading me to do this. We don't seem to have the things in order lined up, but I'm going to act in faith. And in, through, your, through your act of faith, you see people, wow, people are getting healed or saved or rescued or redeemed or marriages are helpful. Like, you go, wow, God, because, and it, it, ultimately God gets the glory, right? But there's a side where God will use your faith to shape and change someone's eternity, and that's what's happening here. God used these men to shape and change his eternity. And then Jesus said this, son, your sins are forgiven you. And here's what I love. People have been like, uh, uh what? Right? Like, let's be honest. So if the roof opened up and you, they, they drop in a bed and here's this paralyzed guy. And everyone's like, oh, there's a paralyzed guy. They called him the paralytic. Like, that's what he's known for. Oh, it's a paralyzed guy. And he's like, hey, hey, you're forgiven. Everyone's like, uh, Jesus, that's, I don't know if you can tell, but that's, that's not why I came today. <laughs> like, there's a side of this where you look on and go, everyone seemed to knew what this guy needed. Like, we know, he knows, the crowd knows. It's almost like, Jesus, why would this be the first words? Like, Jesus, do you really know what my greatest need is? I need to be healed. And Jesus is like, yes, I do know what your greatest need is. Your greatest need is for forgiveness. And I'd say, this is what we have to talk about and focus on. Because sometimes in life, we make suffering our greatest need. And we think it's the greatest problem. We think it's the greatest issue. When in reality, sin is our greatest problem and our greatest issue. And I, I think this is something we can get sidetracked in. Here's, here's a couple thoughts with this. This guy wanted to be healed, and let's be honest, like, who wouldn't want to be healed? I'm not, this is not a bad thing to want to be healed. But he goes to Jesus, here's a deep, deep, deep need I have, Jesus. I would love to walk again. And Jesus is like, I know a deeper need that you have. And, and you wonder with this guy, because in some ways, there's probably this mindset of, if I can just get to Jesus, and if he can just give me what I want, my life will be better. Like, if he can just heal me, then my life will be great. Then I'll have my, I won't be known as a paralytic. Everything will be better if I can walk again. Like, I'll find meaning and purpose and value. If Jesus will just give me what I want, everything would be better. And so often we come to Jesus and think, Jesus, I'm coming to you because here's what I really need. Here's what I, I really need this relationship. I really need this job. I really need this, this income. I really need this. And we go to Jesus what we think we need. And Jesus goes, no, there's something you really need more than that. And I, and I, I do think that oftentimes we can come to church like this man. 
We come to church with something in mind, and we leave with something else. And I hope that would happen more often. I hope that everyone coming here goes, here's what I want from Jesus this week. I would like this, this, this. We look, this, we look at Jesus like Santa Claus, like, here's my list. I've been pretty good this week. Can you please answer these prayers? And that's just not the case. Jesus goes, here, I know you think you need this, but this will not satisfy you. Because imagine, imagine Jesus, and he did heal him. So we'll talk about that. But imagine Jesus, just, he said, yeah, oh my gosh, you're paralyzed. Let me just show everyone how powerful I am. Be healed. Like, imagine he just did that. And imagine the guy's walking around for two months, four months, four years, six years, ten years. Eventually, he's not going to appreciate that gift anymore. So often we do that. We just go, I got what I wanted, and we forget immediately how God answered our prayer. And I, and I think we can be, I can be guilty, we can be guilty of this. And I, again, I think Jesus is saying, hey, I, this will make you excited for a moment, and maybe for a longer moment, but ultimately I have something that will satisfy you much longer. I will give you something that will satisfy you eternally. And I think that Jesus is trying to expose, hey, what you long for, you're not longing enough. What you desire, you're not desiring enough. So often, again, it's not wrong to have needs or wants or desires, but I love how the Bible says there's a greater desire in your soul and in your spirit that you know but you've not yet confessed. That there's a greater desire within all of us. And, I, and I'm, I'm sharing this because I think that I can still come to Jesus and go, Jesus, here's what I really need for my family right now. Here's what I really need. And I really think the answer is so different sometimes. Like, no, you just need to be faithful to your family. You don't need this. Here's what you really need. Your, your attitude needs to change. Your heart, your perspective, your view of me. You're coming to me with this need, but I'll show you something you need even more. And I think that this is what Jesus does in such a good way. And, and again, Jesus didn't disregard his need. He didn't ignore his need. Can I tell you again, I've said this, but what I love about Christianity is we have the only faith and view of God where he said God entered suffering. No one else will say that God knows what it's like to suffer. We serve a God who goes, I know what it's like to suffer at the hands of someone else. I know what it's like to suffer and being innocent while suffering. Like we serve a God who can relate to us. So it's not like Jesus doesn't relate to this guy. But he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And here's what I want to point out, too. This has been called by different guys the great contradiction. Look at verse 5 again. They saw, Jesus saw their faith, and he said, your sins are forgiven you. And people read this and go, ha, the Bible knew it, contradicted itself right here. How, how? Because they say, this guy never asked for forgiveness. This, this, is, the, this is really interesting. Nowhere in the Gospels or in Acts you always see people ask for forgiveness and, and, or you see them repenting and then forgiven. You see people come to Jesus like, have mercy on me. You see some sort of confession, then they have the mercy. This, none of that. And I think you're like going, okay, so what does that mean then? If you look at verse 6 and if you look at verse 8, and we'll talk about this. Jesus saw within the scribes and Pharisees. He perceived their spirits. Jesus knows what's going on in this man's heart. And I think that Jesus, knowing all things and knowing this man's need, he knows like, okay, I know you want to be healed, but I, th I think even this man knew I need something more. I think like he even knew, like, yeah, I want to be healed, but will I still be satisfied and content with that? You see, Jesus could say, for, he, and I love this about Jesus, you guys, like, he's so quick to forgive. Notice that, like, he didn't have to beg him. He didn't even, he didn't even ask. Maybe his heart just goes, I really need something more. She's like, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> like, I love, we got to remember this. We do not serve a God who's like, beg more. Beg more for forgiveness. You want forgiveness? I'm going to withhold it till you beg like a thousand times. Then I'll forgive you. Like, I had this view of God growing up. Like, I had to pray a million times the same prayer. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, over and over. And like, maybe it's like, oh, the one thousandth, one thousandth and tenth time, now I forgive you. Like, I had this weird mindset. And I, I think we, we, we forget that we serve a God who's like, I'm ready and quick to forgive. That I want to forgive. I'm not looking to, to dismiss your sin. I'm not looking to ignore your sins. I'm looking to embrace them and forgive them quickly. Like, before he could even say anything, Jesus like, let me just stop you there. I love that, right? It's like one of those love movies, like, you had me, hello. Like, Jesus like, no, hey. It's like, it's like don't, shh, don't say anything, you're forgiven. 
Like he just knew in his, in his heart. I, and I love this about our God. Again, guys, Christian, and how we grew up, I don't know how you grew up or how you viewed God as a young child or growing up into adulthood. I'm not sure, but know this. You serve a God who's quick to forgive. We serve a God who's quick to forgive, who wants to forgive, who's looking for the heart that is broken. He's looking for the heart that says, I just need forgiveness, and he wants to forgive. So he simply says, your sins are forgiven. Look at verse 6 now. And some of the scribes are sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. And that's like Jesus' point. They're like in their heart, they're going, who, no one can do this but God. I picture Jesus like, yes, now you're getting it. Like, who can read the minds of people but God? Do you get the irony there? It's like, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus is like, I hear, I hear you. <laughs> like, like uh, yeah, I, let me respond to that. And, and again, who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, no one ever said you're forgiven. No one ever claimed they could forgive. And there's something so powerful about this. And I want you to think how weird this is. Jesus says you're forgiven. Who is, who is he to forgive in a sense? Did this man wrong Jesus? So, for example, you know, this, this idea, like, if I had three friends, I had Matt, Brandon, and Nathan, right? And Matt just punches uh, Brandon in the face. And, like, uh, breaks his nose, tooth falling out. And, and Brandon's just, like, in pain, blood everywhere. And Nathan walks up and says, like, yo, Matt, I forgive you. Uh, Brandon's like, uh, excuse me, he didn't do anything to you. He punched me in the face. You can't forgive. Uh, you, you, have no, you have no part in this. He didn't offend you. He didn't sin against you. And this is kind of confusing. It's like, you're forgiven. Jesus is basically saying, all sin, all sin is against me. And so I can forgive because when you sin, you're sinning against me. Remember David in Psalm 51, he says, God, against you, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. David sinned against a lot of people. This is, offense, this is offensive to even us. David sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba. He sinned against his nation. David sinned against so many people. And that is true. And that is fully true. But ultimately, his sin was against God. And ultimately, he needed forgiveness with God. Because if you receive the forgiveness of men and not the forgiveness of God, he's not really forgiven. And so ultimately, sin is against God. Sin was against Jesus at this point. He goes, no, no, I can't forgive. Yes, who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question, Pharisees, right? Like, I love this because there's a side where, you know, people say Jesus never claimed to be God. He did in so many awesome ways. So many awesome ways. Even he's like, I and my father are one. He never claimed to be God. Like, we're just, we're just silly how we come up with, like, do you know that Jesus never said this? Like, well, you've never read the Bible. Like, Jesus is like, yeah, exactly. Only, only God can forgive sins, and he's forgiven. Because all sin is against me. And, and I want you to understand something, too, what's happening. How do they know? Like, okay, your sins are forgiven. It's like, can you still heal me? Like, how do they, how do they know? And, and how can that power be made known? And, and look at response in verse 8. Uh, but when Im- immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And again, again, he per- verse 8 says he perceived what they were thinking within themselves. And again, there is this side in verse 6. So they didn't even say this. They thought to themselves, man, who can forgive sin but God? Like, they thought that. And he's like, I know what you're thinking. Again, like, no thought of ours is, like, safe when Jesus is around. Like, oh, what about, oh. And she's like, I heard that. I heard that. Like, I love, like, it's just fully exposed. And, and the question they ask is a great, it is great. And I love, or the question Jesus asks is great. He goes, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, you know, rise, take your bed, and walk? What's easier? And it's funny. If you read about this from different people throughout the last 20 centuries, the last 2,000 years, everyone's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's kind of fun. In some ways, and it's interesting, in some ways it is easier to say your sins are forgiven. In a lot of ways you could, you could say it's much easier because no one knows. 
how do you know? Like, Jesus is a, a prophet. They're not sure who he is. They're trying to figure him out. And he goes, your sins are forgiven. They're like, well, how do we know your sins are forgiven? How can you do that? You don't have a right to, like, in some ways, it's easier to say that. So he's like, what's, e- what's, what's easier? What's easier to say? And then just to, like, show them, like, uh, and then just like, you know, I'll also heal him on top of that. Now do you believe my word? If I can bring him back, Jesus is trying to show he's not just a healer or physician, which he is, and I love that. We'll talk about that more next week. But he's also savior. And he's saying, I cannot just heal. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm also savior. And so he's trying to show, and then he, he proves that by healing him, saying, okay, you don't believe that? Let me show you. And he heals him. And, I, and on the other hand, here's the other side. It's a lot harder to say your sins are forgiven. <laughs> it's a lot harder to say that. It's really hard for someone to say your sins. It's really hard at this point in time to look at Jesus and go, how do we know his sins are forgiven? Jesus heals him and goes, does that help? Does that help you know that his sins are forgiven because I also just made him walk? That should help. But it's still hard to know. And I think what's happening here is it's like this is a foretaste of the cross. That Jesus is showing them that, you know, it, it's easier it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but in reality it's not. Because it's going to cost a lot more. It's going to cost a lot more for God to say your sins are forgiven. It's going to be a lot harder in a sense. For this man's legs to become mobile again, Jesus' legs have to become immobile, nailed to a cross. For this man to dance again, Jesus has to die. This man came lowered in from a roof, and it's just pointing in the greater gospel story that this man came to find Jesus, but in reality, Jesus didn't come through a roof. He came from heaven. He came from heaven to earth. Part of the clouds came down, and he's like, and I'm here to heal. I'm here to heal, but more importantly, I'm here to forgive. Our greatest need is not suffering. Our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. And this is what Jesus is showing them. This is really a shadow of just like saying, I'm saying, I'm saying this right now because I will be paying for your sins soon. I'm saying this right now because your sins will be paid for. And it seems easy for, it seems easy for me to say that, but it's not going to be easy. The cross will cost a lot. It will cost the most precious thing God, God has, and that's his son. The blood of his son to atone for our sins, to forgive our sins, to make us right with God. It costs a lot. So you and I could truly walk one day. Jesus had to have his legs stopped walking. He had to have him nailed to it and pinned to a cross. And this guy didn't just walk, but he truly walked after this. He truly was able, he was able to walk about the confidence that Jesus himself said, your sins are forgiven. What a great thing. This guy's not just walking, like he's walking. He has this confidence that my sins, like he's like, hey, do you know you're forgiven? He's like, yeah, Jesus said it. Like that's really like, Jesus said it. I'm pretty sure my sins are forgiven. If he said walk, I can walk. Yeah. Like it's, it's cool to know that he says my sins are forgiven. And, and, and this response to the crowd, it just must have amazed them. It must have stopped them because we're going to keep going. But Jesus, if you look at verse 10, because he didn't heal him yet. Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. What happens? Verse 12. Immediately, immediately, Mark's favorite word. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out into the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. You know, you thought it was scandalous for Jesus to touch a leper? How much more to say your sins are forgiven? We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen an example of this. Again, remember, their messianic expectations, the Messiah could not forgive. The thought of the Messiah was the fulfilled one, the promised one, the sent one, but not that he's God himself able to forgive. Jesus is blowing all of their expectations. Everything they thought about the Messiah, Jesus was like, it's too limited. It was more so. You know, and, and this is what Jesus is redefining for them. And I, I love that immediately he gets up. Immediately he walks. Jesus is like, you want to know if I have the power to forgive sins? You just walk, walk, start walking. He's like, and I love the thought of like this crowded room. The guy's like, excuse me, pardon me. I know I'm the paralytic and you've seen me as the paralyzed guy. But he's walking out of there. And the walk, listen, and here's, his walk proved his life was changed. And that is the point, right? The fact that he could walk showed his life has changed. 
People go, how do I know this works? And you can say, the fact that I can walk again shows my life has changed. How, how do I know Jesus' power? The fact that me, me, I'm walking. <laughs> the fact that I can do this shows my life has changed. It, it shows that Jesus' words are powerful and can heal and can restore and can redeem and can rescue. Because the fact that he could save someone like me, that's how I know. And there's a side that his walk proved his life has changed. His walk proved Jesus' word has all the power in the world. That at your word, whatever you say, at your word. I love those uh, stories. Like the, they're just, Jesus simply said, like he said it again, take up your bed and go to your house. He just simply said a word, and that's all it took. And there, there is so much here. There's so much to think about. I want to leave you with a couple little thoughts <coughs> about this. Because a part of the story that I, I love, I love just Jesus in this way. Uh, I, I wrote it down this way. Um, this guy was known as the paralytic. That's all we're told. We don't know his name. Luke doesn't tell us his name. It's like, oh, the paralytic. Like, oh, yeah, that guy. The one in Capernaum? Yeah. The paralytic. The paralyzed guy. And, and here's what I love. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. He's no longer the paralytic. He's son. And how I word it, you know, what someone said to you or about you doesn't have to ultimately define you. And I please hope you can hear this. For years, this guy's identity was the paralytic. He's the paralyzed guy. He's the one that everyone sees begging. He's the one that everyone sees and knows of. And no longer, because of Jesus, no longer does his old identity have to be his current identity. Jesus in the whole room, even though everyone's like the paralytic, the paralytic, Jesus is like, son, this word technon, it just means child, 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 your sins are forgiven. And I want us to know, because I'll say this, a lot of us in this room, myself included, have been paralyzed by comments people have made to us or about us or behind our backs and paralyzed us. That a lot of those comments keep us on the mat. That we think, well, this person did this, this person said this, this person, and we can have, and I, I love that Jesus' son. It's like, hey, this is, you, don't let that old identity define you. And I'll say, walk. You know, some of us are defined by our old identities, but we kind of still sit there on the mat. Walk. Like, walk now. Like, again, some of us are, you have a new identity, but you're still sitting on the mat. It's like, well, walk. Walk it out. Walk worthy of the calling with which you're called, as Paul would say. Like, walk it out. Jesus said you're forgiven. What are you? Forgiven. <laughs> like, you don't have to question, like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, whatever he says, like, okay, walk it out. Walk in that beauty. Walk in that, you know, the things I once did that once people knew me as, that doesn't have to define me anymore because Jesus calls me son. He calls me daughter. He calls me child. He welcomes me in. I have a new identity now. I don't have to be paralyzed anymore by the past. I don't have to be paralyzed by those comments, but walk it out. Walk it out. You might know this, but do you walk it? You might know that you have a new name. You might know that you have a new inheritance. You might know that you're son or daughter of God. You might know that you're a child of God, but do you walk it out? Do you walk that way? He proved his life was changed by his walk. He goes, excuse me, pardon me. Let me get out of this crowded room. I need to go home. I need to obey Jesus. Listen, I'm not going to not fulfill this. Like, let me get out of here. Like, I'm going. And he walks it out, and he lives it out. Next, here's the next thought. Uh, we have peace with God because Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He has peace with God because Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And I want you to think about this. Imagine this guy going home, like, oh my gosh, you're walking, Jesus did it. He's like, yeah, 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 but here's the weirdest part. Before we said anything or asked anything, he said I was forgiven. Like before, like, he healed me, I was forgiven. Before I saw the results of anything, I was forgiven. And I think there's a side where his family's looking on and going, what, what? Like he's like, I want to rejoice that I can walk again, but can I tell you Jesus emphasized and told me first and foremost that I'm forgiven, and that's the most important news. 
They're like, yes, it's cool, I can walk again. Isn't that incredible? But can I tell you even better than that, I'm forgiven? That would be his first thought. He's like, oh my gosh, you're walking. Like, yes, 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 yes. But Jesus said, I'm forgiven. And everyone's like, wait, who, you can't do that. Only God can. Like, and this dialogue went on, but, but he healed me so he can't forgive. Like, imagine this guy's testimony now to everyone else. They're saying, yeah, I, I can walk, but no, it's better. I'm forgiven. Isn't that so much better? Because what if this man could walk, but he had two legs simply to walk into hell? What if he was healed to walk, but he is eternity was still on his way to hell? It's so much better knowing that he can walk forever in eternal life. You know, I love, I love how it says this, this man didn't need to walk, he needed to stand. You know, here's the verse, Psalm 130, verse 3. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This guy didn't need to walk, he needed to stand before God innocently. God, if you'd hold my sins against me, I couldn't stand before you. Who am I to stand before you? If you were to hold my sins against I wouldn't be able to stand. But this guy can stand before Jesus because he said your sins are forgiven. He couldn't stand before Jesus because he could walk. He can't stand before God one day because he was fixed outwardly. He could stand before God because he was heal- healed inwardly. And this is the gospel, and this is the central message of the gospel. Jesus is preaching them. He's telling them the word of God, and the power was there to heal them, and people are around them, and there's some critics there. Who does this Jesus think he is? Who do, you know, and there's some critics there. There's some people, I just want something from Jesus. I just need something from Jesus. And Jesus is trying to say, whether you're a critic or whether you're just here for selfish reasons, let me just do the most important thing, and that is forgiveness of sins. Because that is really what you need, and that's what I need. And I'll say at the end of the day, guys, we need forgiveness of sins. We need to be right with God. That is the most important thing. If you are in this room and you're not right with God, you can confess your, your sins and you can place your trust in Jesus Christ and you can be right with God. You can say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the fact that you took my sin. You paid for my sin. You were nailed to the cross. My sin was paid for and my, my debt has been paid for because of what you've done for me. And because you rose again and walked in the newness of life, I can also rise again and walk in the newness of life. Because you died and live, I now will die, but I will live that my last breath on earth will be my first breath in heaven with you because you paid for the penalty of sins. And do you know that? Do you have that confidence? Can you say confidently, my sins have been forgiven? This guy could say confidently, my sins have been forgiven. God is not trying to trick us into salvation, saying it's really hard. You will know when you die. You will know when you stand before me if you're really forgiven. No. We went through 1 John several months ago to talk about the book was written, the whole idea of 1 John was written so you can know you have eternal life. Jesus wants you to know that you're forgiven. Do you know that you're forgiven? Do you know that? Do you know that if you were to die today, you'd be in the presence of God forever? Enjoying him, enjoying Jesus. You can know that. You can walk away way more with just your pair of legs, but knowing that your sins are forgiven. And you need to know that. And that is why we're here. There's no point of doing this every single week if you don't know that. You need to know that your sins are forgiven. And it's because what Jesus, and again, it costs a lot. It seemed easier to say at first. It seemed really easy for Jesus to say this. But it cost him a lot. It cost him his life so we could live. Jesus paid a price we could not pay. Because I owed a debt I could not not pay. I I just love the fact of the cross. I love what he's done for us. So here's what we are going to do. We are going to take communion this week. And we're going to hold that little cracker. (laughs) And we're going to hold that cup full of juice. Saying, Jesus, by your stripes we are healed. Because your blood has been shed, I'm forgiven. So let me just really say this. Don't get distracted right now. We're going to pass out communion. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to pass out communion. And if this is for, just, just so you guys know, communion is remembering what Jesus has done for us. If you believe in Jesus, please take. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have to take communion. I would say don't take communion. Don't remember something you don't believe in. But if you are hearing this today and say, I want my sins forgiven, 
Take that cup. That cup does not forgive you of your sins, but take that cup as a reminder that my sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And I'm here to confess that and believe that and enjoy that. This is not some sad thing. This is a celebratory thing. Because his, because his blood was shed, I don't have to have my blood shed. I don't have to pay for my sin. He paid for my sin. I'll never have to pay for my sins. God's not going to judge the same sin twice. It is paid for on the cross. My sin has been applied to his account. And if you believe in Jesus, your sin's applied to Jesus' account. So believe in Jesus. You're like, I've never, I've never done this. He perceived in their spirits. Can I tell you right now, you can simply believe, I believe Jesus paid for my sins. Take communion. Jesus was quick to forgive that man. He's going to be quick to forgive you. Amen? So we're going to pass out communion. They're going to play some worship. Take it. Pray over it. I'm not saying just pray over the bread, pray over the cup, and when you're ready, take it. I'm not going to come back up. We're just going to have worship. We're going to close out in prayer. So as soon as you get it, pray. Pray over it. Enjoy your Jesus. Enjoy your Savior. Thank him. Take communion. And we'll end with some prayer and some things to share at the end. All right? Guys, if you want to come forward.